Hi, and welcome to The Lens. I'm Ryan Huber. I'm Bernie Belvedere. And uh, we're here from your friendly neighborhood digital media company, ARC. Bernie, uh, we just started a digital media company. How do you feel about that? I feel awesome. I think uh, just given the first week's uh, output that we've that we provided, I, I think we're um, we're going to be the kind of uh, company that provides um, some really good and thoughtful and challenging written content, audio content, and video content. And uh, the video stuff's in the pipeline, but uh, right now this is our first lens episode, and I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I think like all of us are pretty excited because we've got everything from like Rick Deal talking about fish oil and time travel paradoxes to you like wandering through like a a haze of sort of rhetorical metaphors at a grocery store about a never Trump uh, kind of (laughs) fever dream that you Mm -hmm. had. (laughs) That's pretty cool. And then we've got stuff like actual foreign policy analysis, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've got uh, excellent contributors. Uh, just right around the corner as well. Yeah, well, um, the gentleman that wrote the uh, Waiting for Pivot piece, I thought that was particularly good, but I cannot pronounce his name correctly, so I'd love for you to take to tell, to, to share uh, his name with me before before I mess it up. Yeah, well, I'm going to pivot and only, <laughs> only pronounce his first name. We're, okay. we're going to go with Vir- Virad. Okay, Virad did a, a great job for us. We have some other great contributors, uh, like you said, just around the corner. We've got culture and a pop culture. I mean, your Crystal Pepsi piece was was well, well received as well as your top 75 songs of all time. And I would just encourage people, if you haven't checked it out yet and you're kind of running into us on audio format, uh, check us out on Medium, our Facebook page, ARC, uh, at the ARC Mag is our kind of uh, our, our name that we go by, even though we just call ourselves ARC. And so... Uh, we're excited about, like Bernie said, the audio content, the video content, things that are coming. But um, we've had some good contributors already, and we, we think it's only going to get better. So thanks so far for those of you who did click on this on purpose. Thanks for supporting uh, this little this little engine of commentary and news and analysis. Absolutely. Thank you. So, Bernie, we're not here just to congratulate ourselves on having you know a few likes on Facebook. We're here to actually talk about something. And on the lens, uh, episode one, we're going to call this the case against Trump. case need to be made against Trump? Like, why would we care that people either don't, you know, vote for Trump or think about it before they do? I think uh, the tradition that you and I sort of feel at home in, which is right of center conservatism, uh, sort of an evangelical background, we have theology, philosophy backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that sort of broad perspective is uh, there's a tension emerging uh, from within some, uh, from within one corner of that uh, broad framework, which, which is saying, Look, uh, Donald Trump is pretty bad, uh, you know, granted, but uh, the alternative is sort of world historically, you know, worse mm-hmm. uh, in the form of uh, a person singularly unqualified to be president. Uh, it just should be behind bars rather than 
you know, leading our country. Uh, so a, a vote for Trump is, is, is really the best bulwark against uh, putting someone like that in office. And of course, I'm talking about Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, um, others within that same sort of broad framework that I'm talking about, they have a problem, and I count myself among them. They have a problem with voting for Trump, despite the fact that the other candidate, the candidate on the other side of the aisle, is is really bad as well. And and so I'm personally put in a unique position to – I thought I would never uh, resist the chance to vote at least for you know the lesser of two evils or, or yeah. you know use, use that kind of reasoning. Yeah. But in this case, I really do feel like I can't vote for either one. Yeah, and you mentioned a few things there. First of all, you said we're both kind of, we have like a philosophy theology background and you're a philosopher, I'm an ethicist, we've both gone to graduate school for this stuff. And, you know, whether it's Kantian ethics or whether it's sort of like knowing about the postmodern epistemological shifts, like we're, we've thought about this pretty deeply. This isn't a knee-jerk reaction for either of us. And it really is a difficult position we find ourselves in because on the one hand, Hillary Rodham Clinton is probably one of the most corrupt politicians that I've ever encountered, like in major national politics. Like I can't, right. you know, I can't think of one that's actually violated their, do, do secretaries of state take an oath of office? They do. Okay. So oath of office violated their oath of office more than, than, than Madam Clinton has. On the other hand, Donald Trump is in almost every way, um, almost impossible for me to imagine voting for. And so you, you had brought up a couple of things. And I was thinking maybe we could we could talk about it just man on the street wise, but also maybe bring in a little philosophy when it comes to what is this lesser of two evils thing, which is kind of our one option versus some other option where we don't go, all right, I have to vote for the lesser of two evils. What's going on kind of in terms of just pure logic in your brain when you when you go to, you know, in your mind, pull a lever for one or the other? So ordinarily, uh, life throws situations your way in which uh, neither outcome, neither alternative is something that um, interests you or is exciting or, or you feel is a good one. And so you're forced to choose the lesser of two evils. Uh, and it, I guess you're choosing, you're making the choice uh, ultimately against that, that worse option. And say, um, like, say someone says to you, Bernie, you have to eat somewhere. It's either CeCe's Pizza or... Or Little Caesars. Like right. neither one of those is your favorite pizza place. I'm going to go ahead and guess. That's absolutely right. That's right. Yeah. And it, and it would be a tough choice. Uh, but in the end, I would make if, if I had to eat at one of those two places, I'd make a choice. Um, and, and there wouldn't be a problem with selecting the lesser of two evils in that sort of circumstance. Mm -hmm. Where it gets tricky is you can you can amplify the the scenario and, and turn it into the kind of uh, picture in which both options are so intolerably uh, difficult to, to put your to, to give your voice to to lend your um, your choice to mm -hmm. that you just can't choose yeah. because they're both so terrible uh, and that's where I find myself uh, yeah. just being unable. Imagine if someone said, and I'm not in any way comparing uh, you know, these two candidates to, to these other two guys that I'm bringing up in this scenario. But imagine someone said, you know, you got to choose between Hitler or Stalin. At that point, I just abstain from, from, from playing the game. There's like a moral imprimatur, right? With of some kind that you're putting your name on something you're lit, you're taking your hand and you're selecting someone, even if it is the lesser of two evils, there's something that just kind of feels gross about that. Like that, like, 
even if it is the lesser of two evils, it feels wrong, right? Right, right. It feels like a kind of endorsement, even if it is understood in the context of a lesser of two evils. So you're really just voting against something. There is still a kind of endorsement that you're making by by uh, by putting your name forward for that candidate. Mm-hmm. And you and I both know a lot of conservatives, a lot of Christians, people at least that that's what they identify as, who don't really have a huge problem. Or in other words, they've maybe not easily, but they've uh, effectively justified voting for Trump in their heads. They've said, you know, they've used the lesser two uh, evils arguments or, or whatever they've had to do, or maybe they just like the, the anti-PC thing. And so we know a lot of people who who don't agree with us, who are, you know, 40% of Republicans feel pretty comfortable voting for Trump. How how do we even approach the subject from the standpoint of like, okay, like sometimes it's hard to even start the conversation. Like it seems like we're so far apart. Right. Um, so we know from exit polling that one of the one of the biggest reasons people have for voting for Trump is they feel that he speaks his mind mm-hmm. and that he looks out for people like me. Right. These are yep. reasons given for voting for him. The the types of uh, people that I have encountered who fit within the same broad framework that I talked about earlier as I do uh, and yet are voting for Trump instead cite things like we don't want to give Hillary the chance to further perpetuate the liberal slant on the Supreme Court through her own That's justices. That's, That's a big one, admittedly. And so when I when I talk to them, I say I totally understand wanting to vote for Trump for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's a big one. Uh, someone else might come up with some other uh, really important cause, you know, mm-hmm. to the right or to Christians and say, because of this reason, we feel Trump wouldn't be as bad as, as Hillary is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in the end, that reasoning fails. And a couple of I, I would give a couple of reasons for that one. It's not as if our votes in this election look like they're going to be uh so important. Uh, I think as we get Bernie, let me closer, just tell you, as a California resident, my vote is almost never important. Yeah, I mean, as a Florida resident, my vote should be important, and Usually we had all is. the makings. Yeah, and we had all the makings this year of something that was going to be uh, right down to the wire. I don't know if you remember the 2000 election. Yep. I mean, we we were up to like 561 in the final recount mm-hmm. after you know after a month of, of doing recounts. Florida can. Florida can sit on the fence. Yep. Um, I, and four corridor, baby. That's right. That's the weather um, vein. But in this case, you know what? It's not as if your vote, if if you're someone who is taking my position, it's probably going to amount to much anyway. Trump is almost certainly going to lose. So there is that sort of leeway it for you to just stand on principle. It is important for you to go to the polls and vote for Marco Rubio for Senate, though, as a as a as a Senate right guy, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so on, on that, in that race for sure. Uh, and, and another thing that, um, that I think is, is worth considering in this case is there's an unspoken assumption about uh, Trump being better on some of these issues than Hillary would be. Mm-hmm. And that's that Trump can be trusted yeah. to follow through on some of the, I mean, he gave an incredible list of justices that he would, that he would look Originalists, into. Originalists, et cetera, like very principled jurists. We're talking about some of them were Scalia-like, mm-hmm. but but it, does anyone have any reason to be in any way 
uh, trusting that Trump would follow through on that once president, before given I everything that, that we know about him. Yeah, before I answer that, I think that we should say the rest of this podcast is going to be reasons why we're not voting for Donald Trump. So if you're a huge Trump fan and you have sensitive skin, you might just want to like find something to do, maybe go work out. Um, you're welcome to listen to the rest of the podcast. But the rest of this is kind of going to be us saying you know, why the title of this podcast episode is The Case Against Trump. So the first thing Bernie's bringing up right now, which I'm which I'm going to respond to, is uh, Article 1 of the anti-Trump Constitution. He is not trustworthy. That's right. He's not a trustworthy human, never mind a trustworthy person who is going to be in charge of large other, like, populations of humans. He's cheated on his wives. He's literally uh, reversed himself mid-sentence during uh, Republican debates. Nothing he says really seems to stick or mean anything long-term for him. He was a Democrat for most of his life. And I'm not even using these as, as reasons not to vote for him. I'm using these under the umbrella of reasons you can't trust him. You can't trust what he says. He's not someone that, like if Bernie, if you were like, well, you know, I'm, I voted for Mitt Romney and I'm, uh, you know, I was a Marco Rubio fan, and and then I'm I'm gonna vote for you know someone who's a constitutional conservative. I, I'd say, oh well, you seem like a trustworthy fellow, and I should trust your vote. But there there's not much that Trump has done that could be described as consistent, other than of course the fact that he loves himself, or at least appears to, uh, in public. So absolutely, that's that's the first big reason, right? That's right, and I think. You get the sense when you hear him speak and you compare, you know, his past statements with his current ones. And then uh, you just take a look at his overall profile of where he stands on things. You get the sense that he he cares so little for the truth. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about regular uh, lying at this point. Uh, we're talking about such a carelessness for the truth. He he uh, he lies with a sort of ease that other people, mm-hmm. you know, it's so easy. Just. Yeah, it's so easy for him. I remember uh, going he, after an anchor from either Telemundo or Univision at one of the Republican debates. He's like, you guys are always attacking me. You're unfair. I hate you guys. And then the lady was like, the other day you said that you loved us. And he said immediately, he was like, you're right. I love you guys. You're great. Like, <laughs> right. There was no like connection to anything outside of just what he felt like saying at, at, at the moment. And think about what kind of contempt for proof a person needs to have to not even wait a day or at least change the context before retracting what you just said, uh, you know, in a, in, in a way that you just described, where you in just mid-sentence way, seems it. like the most extreme postmodern linguistic philosopher we've ever seen, because literally it's like language doesn't mean anything. It's a big game. He's like Wittgenstein, only like not serious at all. He just It's like he's playing a big language game with us. That's right. I think he does view language uh, in that sort of way as a tool to get what he needs, to get what he wants, but not in any way as the sort of um, the sort of action that requires, uh, you know, a sort of virtue to be attached to it, namely the virtue of truth, of accuracy, of aiming, straining toward getting the world right in your judgments. It's just simply a tool for him to get ahead uh, at this point politically, but in the past, uh, you know, corporately and stuff like that. Yeah, we've seen him treat people. I mean, his name on a contract doesn't mean much. He's defrauded uh, a lot of people, whether it's through Trump University or putting his name on building projects, not playing, paying contractors, whether it was his wives, whether it was reneging on certain promises. And I would even question this, Bernie. What What man in his late 60s makes 
makes 180 degree changes in his political philosophy. Like I just haven't met many like, and I haven't met many that didn't have a huge life crisis that precipitated it. In other words, Trump was vociferously pro-choice in terms of the, the abortion debate late into his sixties. And within the last 18 months, he has said that he said at one point that, that women should be punished for getting abortions. And he said right. that very casually. So he's gone from a, a, a fairly consistent pro-choice to a rabid pro-life anti-abortion extremist of the highest magnitude in a matter of months. It just, it doesn't compute for most of us who like data. That's right. Yeah, I think a couple of things can be said there. So he likes to point to Ronald Reagan as sort of the, the paradigm that he's following. He's lifelong liberal. <laughs> he's evolving, right? So he's a lifelong liberal and he, just like Reagan, he has this transformation where he sees the light. Uh, the problem was when you hear Reagan's speeches, you know, post-conservative conversion, you you see and you hear the kind of articulateness. Uh, you see and hear the kind of presentation of conservative principles mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, without demonstrating them himself, Trump cannot claim to, to be, you know, to have undergone the same sort of transformation. You got the sense. That, that Reagan understood, believed in, and was promoting conservative principles. It, nothing Trump has said suggests that he even understands. Uh, just coming out on, on that pro-life position that you just alluded to, he wasn't clear on the literature, on the arguments, on the pro-life cause that, that we don't want to, uh, you know, pursue punitive charges against yeah. women who have them. That's just not something we're interested in as a, yeah. a you know, as a pro-life movement. And yet he just went along with it because he thought in that moment, for him, everything is about how he res responds in the moment. He thought in that moment that was the pro-lifey thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets at the root of what his, you know, we, we all have our little switches. Like, I think most most of us would like to tell the truth most of the time. I think his his little kind of railroad train track switches when when he goes from saying what he actually thinks to political Trump. It doesn't seem like he's being politically correct, but Trump, in a way, does something very similar to political correctness. He says what he thinks his core audience wants to hear. And that's what right. he did with the abortion comment. Right. And that's a feature. That's a uh, that's a archetypical, you know, uh, just aspect of populism. Right. Mm -hmm. Going back to what you said, I think there's something interesting here. Um, I read a psychology piece not too long ago that said. Uh, in your 30s and beyond, you sort of have your characteristics and your viewpoints, your overall worldview sort of hardened uh, and, and strengthened to the point where it takes a lot to to get rid of that or to, to sort of challenge that in a, in a deep or serious way. Obviously, people convert from one ideology to another, from one religion to another at that point. But it, and I'm, I'm willing to say that someone like Trump could. I just haven't seen the extra things that would come along with a true conversion, if he's a real conservative, I haven't seen evidence that that's really the case. He says things like Planned Parenthood should continue to be supported. Mm -hmm. uh, he says he says things about nationalism, about freedom of the uh, freedom of the press yep. that is completely at odds with, uh, you know, upholding, you know, freedom as a value. When you compare him to Reagan, Reagan put himself out there for many years as a spokesperson and then as a as a governor, and he established a record. It's not like he just decided. It's not like right before 1976 where Reagan was kind of in the running. It's not like in 1975 Reagan became a conservative. That's 
That's not how it right. worked, you know? Right, right. So I mean, He had an Apostle Paul kind of moment yeah. where he had to go train and get ready and, and understand what he was doing, yeah. Yeah, he had to go spend some time in the wilderness, hanging out, you know, doing his thing. I, I wanted to move from the honesty thing to, let's say we can trust Donald Trump. That, that we that we should take him seriously if we take his words at face value and and, and think of him as a as a genuinely honest man or uh forthright someone who just says what he thinks what are your reservations if that's the case if indeed donald trump is not a liar what are your reservations about voting for him then okay well i think he has uh character deficiencies that go beyond just you know honesty and trustworthiness so he mocked a reporter with a disability mm -hmm. in a way that i thought was uh just completely unbefitting someone running for president mm -hmm. i mean it's the sort of thing that um you know if i've ever done something to to sort of mock someone in the past i feel shame about yep. that because it was a low moment in my life mm -hmm. uh he suggested that ted cruz's father might have been involved in the JFK assassination with no evidence to back that up. That was incredible. Uh, it, absolutely. He attacked, and this is perhaps one of the worst things that I've seen. He attacked John McCain uh, and his war record. This is a man who was tortured yep. for, for our freedom. Yep. Uh, and he attacked him as someone who isn't a hero mm -hmm. and that he prefers you know, soldiers who don't get captured. Yep. That is a stunning, stunning attack mm -hmm. on, on someone that we – you know. What, regardless of how you how patriotic you are on the spectrum, yeah. John McCain is someone who was tortured, you know, you know, fighting for our freedoms. Even and if you disagree with the war that he was a part of, just yeah. to say something like that. And let's get past some of his rhetoric for a minute and, and talk about some of his policy proposals. At one that. point, because he got booed on a on a on a stage, if I'm taking him seriously, he responded to a negative comment by another Republican hopeful and said, oh, you better believe I'm going to build that wall. And it just got 10 feet taller. Think about this, right. Bernie. Think about if you were the president and I insulted you and you said, you know what? You know that thousand plus mile long wall we're building? Because of what you just said, Ryan, we're building the wall 10 feet taller. Like, I mean, it's schoolyard stuff, isn't it? It's absurd. It's absurd. Yeah. Like to make decisions, to make policy decisions upon your feeling in the moment, and we know at closed door meetings, he said he's not going to really do a lot of the stuff he said on immigration. He's a limousine liberal, like he's not actually going to do it. He doesn't. A lot of the people that work at his businesses are undocumented um, workers, and he wouldn't do anything that hurts his bottom line. Like that's he's he's showed that pretty um, pretty consistently. In addition, he's proposed a forty five percent tariff on Chinese imports to America. Absolutely. Do you know yeah, what that's incredible. We would not be able to do this podcast or no one would listen to it. Like there would be no devices that we could afford. And I think that uh, that's particularly damning. Uh, and here's why he's sort of self touted uh, his economic expertise. Like that's the thing he knows about. He's a business yep. executive. He's had all these successful companies. He hasn't. Uh, but if he can't even get economic analysis, right. If he can't even understand how, his protectionist policies would sort of nominally help us by adding a few jobs here and there. But in terms of the prices on the shelves, you know, for objects that people, you know, for consumers would go would go higher because of the fact that things cost more to make now. Yep. If you can't get that or at least grapple with it or at least counteract it in some way, 
then the very thing that he was writing on as his, you know, as the reason to vote for him is just laughable at this point. Also, his base would be wiped out by that, by tariffs. They're, you know, blue collar, you know, working class white people that shop at Walmart. I mean, could you imagine if, mo- like, because most of the stuff in Walmart's from China, could you imagine if all that stuff went up up by 45%, what it would do oh, yeah. to that to that demographic? I just... Disastrous. I know. And uh, let, let's, let's, let's uh, take him at his word again. Bernie, he hires the best people, only the best people. So well, <laughs> what do you think what's about, funny about he's hired? What's funny about that is time and again, there are these issues that the campaign... Uh, experiences and they end up firing a staffer or, or talking to someone behind closed doors, demoting them, rearranging them. Can we play they have game, all these issues. Bernie, can we play a game where I throw out a name and you tell me what comes to your mind first? Mm, okay. Corey Lewandowski. Mm. CNN analyst extraordinaire. I thought uh, roughed up, <laughs> roughed up a reporter. That was my, that was my first. Okay. Here's another one. Uh, Paul Manafort. Hmm. Putin's buddy? Exactly. Paul Manafort worked for Vladimir Putin. Like, and he probably had something to do with the Russian occupation of Ukraine. And then he was Donald Trump's campaign manager for like eight weeks. Now he's replaced him with the uh, the Breitbart.com conspiracy theory CEO. Uh, his last name is Bannon. I forget what his first name is. Is it Stephen? Stephen Bannon. And... and what comes to your mind when you think of Stephen Bannon? Well, I think of Breitbart as just shamefully ignoring the editorial mandate that the press has to objectively cover news. And you know what? If you don't objectively cover news and you sort of wear your ideological positions on your sleeve, that can work uh, too. Mm-hmm. But but you got to get – you got to try. You got to strain to get your opponent's views right the best you can. Even if you say, in the end, I'm going with this other view. I think at times, not always at times, especially when talking about libertarian issues, someone like Glenn Greenwald is able to do that at, at The Intercept. Mm-hmm. Uh, on other issues, I think he just doesn't understand opposing views. But they self-consciously have a position. They're very ideological at The Intercept. And at times, they showcase uh, an ability to get their opponent's views correct. Yeah, I, I think I. when was the last time that there was a campaign shakeup and the person brought in to run a presidential campaign was the CEO of a large media entity. Yeah, I can't remember. I mean, that is corruption at its highest levels. That's an admission of guilt by Breitbart that they were never really covering this campaign as a, as a news organization, organization, but as what people have called uh, Trump's Pravda. And Pravda is the, the, was the Soviet sort of propaganda uh, mouthpiece for all of the the Communist Party kind of stuff that they wanted to disseminate into the world. So, I mean, that's I don't know what could be a lot more damning than that. Like, how do how how do we think that they're not going to try to co opt the media and violate the First Amendment if they're put in to ultimate power in the White House? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So, are there any other issues that come to your mind in terms of of voting for Trump, other than his lack of honesty? If we take him at his word, his policies are horrible. And I would just add in: I think both you and I are uncomfortable with his idea of, excuse me, forcing U.S. soldiers to commit war crimes. Yeah, yeah, that's another one. That I mean, there are so many issues that it's hard to keep track of all the issues that you could spend a long time dissecting and 
and analyzing. That's another one. Um, his his stances on on you know the Muslim travel ban, his yeah. uh, his 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 wall and all the rhetoric he used to dehumanize and demonize you know uh, Mexicans as well. He takes the worst aspects of a people group, broadly applies them to all, and then uses that to stoke the fears of the public mm-hmm. to to vote for him and to support him. Mm-hmm. When sober analysis and sober discussion. Uh, could easily, you know, be far more effective and far more unifying and far more helpful to our country. I, I have, I have absolutely no problem with people feeling down and out and downtrodden and wanting something different from what Washington can offer and has offered recently. I think that's being suspicious of elites in Washington and New York. And yes. I, I think that's an absolutely justified stance you can take, or at least some people in America can take. But the way Donald Trump uses that feeling and brings out the worst in it and hardens it into something uh, not recognizably American. Mm-hmm. Uh, to borrow a phrase from, from President Obama, just uh, that, that's not what we're about. And that's not, <laughs> that's not, you know, that's not part of, you know, what makes us uh, American. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked about politics. We've talked about philosophy. Um, is there anything particularly um particular about Trump that turns you off as a, as a Christian, as someone who's committed to a faith tradition? I, I'm bothered by how he attempts to uh, win over people groups and, and contingencies and voting blocks. Uh, and I guess as a, as a Christian, I'm, I was bothered by the way that he tried to do that, uh, try to play himself off as a Christian while at the same time, not even taking the time to, familiarize himself with what it means at a basic level to be a Christian. He said he's never had to ask for forgiveness in his life, which I mean, that's if, if you want to say that anything is a litmus test to be a Christian, mm-hmm. uh, obviously we don't want to put works as contributory to our salvation, mm-hmm. but this is the central mechanism by which we receive grace uh, in the gospel. In the Bible, it says, uh, you know, that we have to ask for forgiveness and it's a way of depending on God for our salvation. He says he's never had to do that. Therefore, he's never really trusted in Christ because they both go together. And yet he tried to play himself off as this great Christian, maybe because of my great Christian faith. Am I being persecuted here on this debate? He said something to that effect in a in a post-debate show. I mean, that's an incredible statement to make, that he's being persecuted because of his Christian faith. Yeah, and he also says – yeah, <laughs> two Corinthians. <laughs> Classic. I think what disturbs me even more than the Trump phenomenon is, um, you know, I've just, and this is just a personal confession, I've been deeply disillusioned, and maybe that's a good thing. We should, we should always be ready to give up our illusions. Disillusioned at, you know, the sort of conservative movement. I, it was more ethnocentric and white nationalist than I thought it was in terms of the composition of of the people that I kind of identified with. And I always knew there was, there was some of that race baiting kind of stuff on the right, but it was, it was a lot stronger than I thought it was. And the other thing is um, the, the ease with which a lot of evangelical Christian leaders have sold out to Trump has really, um, has really cut, cut to the core of who I am. Like I, I've had to once again, re re remind myself of how, how, uh, fallible um, leaders are, and even Christian leaders, especially Christian le- leaders, and just kind of re-examine like how I think about um, 
you know, some, some pretty major figures in, in my faith and that live in my country. It's, it's been pretty disappointing to me as a Christian to see, you know, people that I, I mean, you expect it from the Jerry Falwell juniors, but like from Wayne Grudem, who's, you know, a fairly respected theologian and who dabbles in Christian ethics. Um, I wasn't shocked, but I was surprised to see a guy like, like Wayne come to Trump's defense and, I've been heartened on the on the opposite side by people like Russell Moore and even Albert Mueller Jr. basically going, "Hey, we just can't, we just cannot vote for this guy." Right. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, I remember being a little kid and going to bed with um, with an audio recording uh, on some nights, "Adventures in Odyssey." Yeah. And it was it was the production that Focus on the Family put out. And they had a bunch of different sorts of things. I think they had McGee and Me yeah. as like a video video series. Uh, I just I grew up thinking that they just had great resources uh, for for Christians and for young people. Um, those resources are, are are still fine, but to see the leader that was around at that time and is sort of still around, uh, James Dobson, so quickly and easily uh, go in, go all in for someone like Donald Trump, mm-hmm. um, it's just extremely disappointing. Yeah, I think it, you know, it reminds me, one thing you said earlier reminded me of, of the beginning of a couple of the Gospels where, you know, one of the first messages we hear is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? That's just the basic first thing that we that we read is repent. And, and Donald Trump doesn't do that. Uh, but we are reminded in a lot of the Gospels about how Peter and John and other early leaders of the church, just, you know, Paul and a lot and people in the Old Testament that were leaders and kind of tasked with the leadership of the people of God were just abject failures. And, um, you know, when we forget that, I think sometimes we can be blinded and then we can kind of have these moments like I've had where I've had to kind of come back to the, we are all messed up and we all like, no matter what our position is, or maybe even people in positions of power are more, you know, um, at risk of corruption because of that. It's just, I shouldn't be surprised. I should not be surprised when the dark side of, of, uh, humanity kind of comes out. So it's something that we'll have to continue to deal with. But I just, I hope that your son, your daughter, and my son, um, I just hope that they don't have to see a President Trump on TV. Honestly, I just don't want our kids to, I don't want that to be the example of what it means to be an American. It would be embarrassing for our, our family members that we lived in an age and we let, you know, the ascension of Trump happen. It would be embarrassing globally that out of, you know, 320 million people, we choose someone like that to represent us and to lead us the highest office that we have mm-hmm. uh it's just I, it's just really bad well we don't want you guys to think that we're unfair so we want to make you a promise next week's episode is going to be called the case against hillary we have not we have not forgotten about uh miss rodham clinton we have not forgotten about benghazi about emails about maybe we'll even talk about whitewater just for old time's sake um, the way that she's protected her husband against his uh, serial womanizing. There are going to be a lot of things to d- dig into in the case against Hillary. And maybe eventually Bernie and I will be able to uh, therapize our way into voting for someone, um, whether it's a third party candidate or Gary Johnson or someone else. But uh, for now, we're going to leave it at that. Thanks for listening. Um, this has been Ryan. And Bernie. And uh, hopefully you guys will tune in next week. See ya. Bye.